0: What is your emergency? Yes, I just
1: saw a shooting, please.
0: Okay. Do you know if anybody's been shot? Yes, I see the way they I see in her
1: garage right now. Is
0: somebody shot? Yes. Stay on the line. Let me connect you to the ambulance service. Hold on.
1: County Sheriff's no, one's Department. I going to have a shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, City, route. Go ahead, ma'am. Suspect's still there. Okay. Oh, yes, so There's still a person out there. There's a black gentleman. He's wearing a black shirt and a black pants. A lady is down in her garage. She's been shot two times or two shots. Oh, dear. Okay. And, uh, and I'm right across the street yeah. now. You, m- you are across the street at Timber Trail. That is right. correct. Okay. Ma'am, I have precinct four on the line. Okay. Precinct four. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Can you tell me what's going on? Yeah, I just saw a shooting. I was in my living room nursing my baby, and I looked out my window, and, and a our, our, our neighbor was outside her garage, and she was shot two times. By a passing motorist? No, the guy. It looked like he was either in her garage waiting for my, my in her garage waiting for her, or I just saw his pants, and then I saw a black man, and he was dressed in black, and he was waiting, and he jumped into a car. What kind of a car? It was a silver car. My husband gave the 911 a description, but my husband just pulled up into her driveway. He can see her. Okay. Did y'all see who did it? No. I all I saw was a pants and then I saw the gentleman, but I can't give a description of the guy. Okay, and he shot her twice? Yes, I heard two shots and I heard her scream and I looked out my window. And my lights were all over. these people saw inside my house. She shot in the head, my husband said. She shot in her head. Yeah, that woman has been shot in the head and she's still alive. And she does have three children. I do not know if the children are at home. Okay, there's a police officer coming. Or I see someone coming. Yo, oh, dear Jesus, help this woman. Okay, we uh, got, got a unit over there. Okay. Okay. You, okay, thank okay, you. Okay, and the, you, you need to advise on what y'all did see, okay? Okay. All right. Thank Bye, you. Bye-bye. bye-bye.
2: That call was made on November 9, 1994, by a neighbor of 33-year-old Farah Frada. Police responded almost immediately in the hopes of intercepting the suspect the neighbor had described, but were unsuccessful. They then entered the garage to find Farah lying on her back on the concrete floor, deceased, with two bullet wounds to her head. So police cordoned off the area and began to investigate. They were immediately struck by the odd location of the crime, as Farah had lived in an upper-middle-class suburban neighborhood where criminal activity was exceedingly rare. It also quickly became clear that burglary was not the motive for the crime. As Fara's purse had been left untouched and no attempt had been made to gain entry to the rest of the house. Despite the clear gunshot wounds, no shell casings were found. In fact, even though the crime seemed to be committed rather hastily, going by the 911 caller's account at least, there was very little forensic evidence of any kind. As they investigated, Fara's soon-to-be ex-husband, Robert Frata, arrived on the scene with their children. Upon seeing the police activity, he asked if there was a drug bust going on, stating he'd recently become suspicious about his soon-to-be ex's new boyfriend being involved with drugs. When police told him that his wife had been killed, he didn't really seem phased by the news. He immediately began rattling off possible suspects, detailing a long list of shady people and practices his wife was supposedly involved with as well as describing his whereabouts with his children for the past few hours, and several people they could contact to confirm this information. Seeing as he was so keen to help, police detained Frata and brought him to the station, where he was held for several hours as they continued investigating, before they eventually brought him into an interrogation room to question him. And that's what we're going to be analyzing today. The beginning of the interrogation isn't present on the video, but after reading the transcripts, we didn't really miss much. It was the usual introductions, the waving of the Miranda rights, and a bit of small talk as they completed the necessary paperwork. The interrogation then began in earnest when police asked Frata about his ex-wife's new boyfriend. And that's where we pick up. It's your
3: boyfriend? Huh? David Dietz. I think it's D-I-E-T-Z. Who, um, Where'd she live? I don't know see he live there with her? No, he stays there quite a bit. But. Was he there earlier when you got there? Uh, no, when I got there, y'all were there. He was there Sunday night when I dropped the kids off. When did you pick the children up this time? I uh, picked the envelope. I guess I picked the envelope about 4, 45, something like that. And then, uh, Bradley and Daniel, about five o'clock. Why different times? Well, because Amber was over at my mother-in-law's and, uh, Bradley and Daniel were at school. You picked the boys up from school. Right. So, the way you normally do it? It varies sometimes. On Tuesdays and on Thursdays when I pick them up, uh, Amber will be at the babysitter's. Janet Vaughn. How many days a week do you know? One. And like I said, I get them weekends. One week ends. One week night. One, week night. Right. one one week night, and then uh, every third week. Where's Jan uh, Sweet gum Forest, I think is the name of it. It's, it's in the Pine Arts, it's right down the street from uh, her mother. Her mother. Who's her, mother? Who's her mother? her name is Betty Backer, B-A-Q-U-E-R. And her phone number? 852-5448. Which I? think it's seventeenth Green. I don't know the numbers and I can show I have to get to. Oh seventeenth Fairway, something like that. Where's an apple Pinehurst. Did you arrange with your ex-wife to pick your kids up at the time that you told me that you picked them up? I'm supposed to pick them up at 6, but um, I've always picked them up earlier. you say you arranged to pick them up when you did? Not really, it's just... a uh, it you kind expected of... to pick, her, pick them up? Oh yeah, I was I'm always expecting to pick them up, but uh, I just always pick them up before 6. It's something I started from day one pretty much and just kept on doing. I used to always coach at soccer so I'd pick him up early. And uh what uh, time is your wife going on? Or your ex wife get home work? at six o'clock. Where's she working? Uh, I don't she works for American Airlines City ticket offices. Um, the last time she paid me, whatever it was to one on uh, uh, at the Marriott Hotel. The JW Marriott. Which one? The that's the only I know of, I mean, that she told me it was the J.W. Mary. I've got the phone number for it, I
2: think it's the gallery. Police begin by asking about his typical schedule with his kids. Frada insists everything was normal, picking up the kids at his usual time, on his usual day of the week, and taking them to church, where he remained for a parents' meeting. This was a bit odd, as Frada usually just took the kids out to eat whenever he had them, but had taken them to church a couple times before. However, he never stayed at the church with them before that night. He would usually just drop them off for their classes and return later to pick them up. Additionally, the meeting he attended was one for parents whose children were preparing for communion, which none of his children were. And while he was at this meeting, witnesses said he left several times to make phone calls in the church's office. So, while none of these individual facets are particularly suspicious on their own, when done together and paired with the fateful events of that night, they definitely raise some eyebrows.
3: Yeah, Billy married. How long have you been the uh, February twenty seventh of ninety two. How long Benjamin you been married? Nine years. When we married, on May seventh, uh, nineteen eighty-three. we have Amber, how old she? Uh, Amber is four, and your son? is uh, Bradley is seven. the mm-hmm. And uh, Daniel was six. Did they have you last night? Yes. Where were you born? In New York. How long have you been in Texas? Since 80, so 14 years ago. Have you ever been arrested? No. You've never been arrested, either in New York or here? No. I did not run that you did. I'm sorry? run that red light you
1: did.
2: This little remark is the beginning of a pattern in this case. Fred will act somber and despondent, as an innocent person in his position typically would, only to quickly drop that facade and crack a joke or make a witty remark, then quickly recede back into his disguise of the grieving ex-husband, He's being interrogated about his ex-wife's murder, mere hours after it happened, and he wants to joke around so badly that he actually has to say the joke twice because the officer didn't hear him the first time. He did the same type of thing in all of his media appearances around the time of the murder as well, and pretty much everyone noticed. Things like this are not only a red flag for the police, but they lose him favor in the court of public opinion as well. But it never seems to dawn on him, either out of narcissism, ignorance, or both.
3: You were a suspect in the kind of crime? Yeah, the uh last time she you know had a stunt like this, uh yeah, I guess it's on file with y'all. Um I think they titled it a uh uh robbery. And then talk to me about that. When did that happen? Hmm. I guess it's been like six months now. So What happened? Well, I never really got the straight story. Um, according to my children, uh, somebody came in the house, bypassing the alarm system and everything else, did nothing, but and, I mean, according to Farah, and what she told detectives was that he said that he was there to quote is what they said to me. Get have my ass in a sling. Yet yeah, I'm listed in the phone book. You know, I mean I'm easy to get to, so I don't know. But yeah, I, I never did understand that one. I thought that was a stunt that she was pulling.
2: The incident Fratta is referring to happened around six months before the murder. Farah awoke to find a masked man standing over her bed with a stun gun she started screaming which woke up her children who then ran into the room in time to see the man use the stun gun on farah then run out of the house farah called the police who came to her house and took a statement and talked with the kids one of whom said i had no idea what was going on all i knew was my mother was in danger we were screaming let our mommy go leave her alone leave her alone the assailant was never caught but police were suspicious of Frata's involvement due to the ongoing divorce and the fact that the assailant was able to deactivate the security system in Farah's house. What month did that happen?
3: I honestly don't remember. It, it'll be on file with you, although will just uh, punch in the address. I've got it written down This is VWN here, this is yours. This is Eliza Plano. I just got it. You own any other cars? On a Jeep, CJ seven. Uh, I don't have the freight to that either. It's an eight lock. What type of work do you do? Work in the city of Missouri City. What do you do? Public safety officer. Combination of firefighter and police officer. You're a police officer. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Can I see your ID? I
2: don't have it with me. <laughs> Frada was a public safety officer in Missouri City, where he underwent both police officer and firefighter training. He tried to use this certification to interfere with the investigation multiple times, but was ultimately unsuccessful. The detective then gets up to verify this information, leaving Frata alone for a couple of minutes. During this time, he shifts in his seat, sighs, talks to himself, and picks at his face, all of which can be indicators of anxiety.
3: What ship do you work on? I work a firefighter ship at twenty four on forty eight off. Major Super Officer. would be Lieutenant John Sheffield. FAR, F A R A H. What's the last name? FRA, F R A T T A. What's the middle FAMIDA, F A I think IDA. There may be an H somewhere in there, i because she never uses it.
1: Pretty
3: of birth uh, is
2: 8,561. we have been separated since uh,
3: February 27th of uh, Any problems with
2: it? Detectives ask Frada about his divorce and if there were any problems with it. Police are already well aware of the numerous problems that were going on with their divorce because some of them already had police and courts involved, and they've already done some investigating on their own. So, they're really just asking this to see if Frada is going to tell them the truth about these issues.
3: Yeah. Sir. yeah. Well, aside from the incident of uh, that deal, um, the, uh, I had called the consuls out know, a couple of weeks ago, and that's when I met the one guy that was there tonight for, her, uh, for, uh letting Daniel run away or actually telling him to go But whatever um, also uh, something strange which I recorded uh, Bradley called me Sunday night mm-hmm. mentioning that he was very upset and he was crying he said that he didn't want the bad man to kill me and didn't want the bad man to kill him. he didn't want the bad man to kill me and that he didn't want me to die. These are just quotes from him. And I thought, I honestly thought, because you know, I have joked around with the detectives with the, the deal at Far Claim last time that she's got some shady sides of family that you was know, are in front of her. And um, I honestly thought that she was, and I joked, half joked about, it, like I said, that she was setting me up for a hit. And um, so I thought. And Farrah's boyfriend was there when I dropped him all Sunday night. So when Bradley called me, I thought he was a conversation between her and boyfriend. Because the other coincidental thing, too, was last week I ran into a boyfriend at Sam's boat on Richmond. And some girl there apparently knew him and said that he, he does drugs. And I came remember and she said, deal drugs or, or what? So when I first pulled up today and saw the, you know, the, uh, the cop cars and the new tape around everything, I honestly thought it was a drug raid.
2: Just to quickly point out what happened there without all the fluff, the detective asked, Have you had any issues with your wife and the divorce? To which Frata responds, Funny you should ask. My child called me the other day and said he was afraid that someone was going to kill me. I've been worried that Farah's new shady Iranian boyfriend may take a hit out on me. So when my kid called, I assumed that he had overheard a discussion between them about that. He's a real bad guy. Some girl at a bar told me that he sells drugs too. When I first came over and saw the police cars, I assumed the house was getting raided for drugs. You should really look into them. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that was the gist. Oh. The tape is damaged here, but via the transcripts, we know that Frata says he also believes either Farah or someone associated with her has been breaking into his house and taking things. The detective then asks what was stolen, and Frata replies... Um... I... Have...
3: I'm trying to remember what they are... Um... A diary... Several tapes and a $1,000 check that were taken out of my house. And I honestly felt that somehow she was behind that because the diary was strictly for the divorce. The tape was strictly for the divorce. $1,000 check was no good, but uh, you know, whoever saw it, maybe... Uh, Why didn't you take your your diary, your $1,000 check, and your tag? At first, I didn't. I mean, I thought I misplaced them somehow. But then, I mean all these things I was remembering afterwards. I came home one morning and I always call forward my phone to my uh, voicemail before I leave the house in the morning. And I leave like 6, uh, like 10 to 6. I came home one day and hit my redial to listen to my, my uh, messages. And when I hit redial, as answering machine picked up. I didn't think anything of it. And I'm like, oh, and I just dialed my, my number. And then all of a sudden it dawned on I me, mean, I, I mean, like a week or two later, just hit me right between the eyes, like, wait a second, what the hell was her number doing on my redial? Because when I left for work, you know, I, I didn't call it, you know, you know I'm saying? I called my voicemail. That's the only number the only I have. What reason would she have coming redials? So I do
2: Again, just to quickly explain what he's talking about here, in the 90s, your voicemail was a separate number. So, in order for people to leave messages, you had to forward missed calls to a separate number, your voicemail number, where they would then leave a message. In order to check your voicemail, you would have to call that same number, put in a password, and then it would play back your messages. Frata is saying that every morning, the last number he'd call before going to work is that voicemail number to set it up for the day. And when he came home from work he would just hit the redial button on his home phone which would then call the voicemail number so he could check his messages since it was the last number he'd called on that phone he's saying that the same day he came home and realized some of his things were missing when he hit redial on the phone intending to check his voicemail it instead called farah his ex implying that whoever broke in while he was at work to take his things also used his home phone to call Farah while they were there, thus inferring that she was somehow involved. None of this is particularly relevant, and we don't know if it ever even really happened, but I wanted the younger viewers out there to at least understand what he was trying to say happened.
3: You know, and here this gets a little wacky, I just felt like I had a missile of tape recorded conversations with her throughout this divorce and a lot of them were very incriminating with her- How saying, are they going to incriminate her? Uh, that her going to be lying to the judge, her saying she would lie to the judge. What was going to be the end result for Maybe she thought she was no. going to lose custody of the kids. I'm, I'm, we're battling for custody. Yeah, right now? Right. I mean, you know, that's why I figured you had me down there, You figure um, guess I'm gonna something to do with it because we're battling for custody.
2: It took us a while to get there, but this is Frada finally admitting that there was some conflict between him and his wife. Until now, everything's been conspicuously squeaky clean.
3: So, um, I assume there's some kind of a custody settlement when you got your divorce. No, the divorce is final. finalized. I thought it was still just divorce. When's it going to be final? No. Uh, well, it was, we're supposed to have trial right, towards the end of the month. And that's why I'm trying to get all my tapes and everything in order now. And, I mean, I'm missing some real important ones. I'm missing an assault tape. She tried to file assault. Oh, that's something else too. She tried to file assault on me. Um, and I wish you could have heard the tape, but, but i the, a constable did hear it because he came over to my house and heard it. Um well, I Mommy, mean, that's a long run story. I don't know if you want to know that. But anyhow, that's one of the tapes that's missing, is, is the deal that I had to tape the tape recorded in my pocket for that whole assault deal. And the cop listened to it and realized that, hey, you assaulted she assaulted me. You know, so it was totally the other way around. And she tried to file charges on me. So like I said, she's just kinda Strange that way. She's pulled several stunts. And like I said to me, um, I mean, I'm finding weird stuff. Um, oil's being drained out of my Jeep. I mean, just stupid little things kept on happening to me over and over again. And, uh, and like I said, I just kind of sat there and sleep with my gun by my bed and everything else. And I mean, if you can ask my girlfriends, the way I sleep is ridiculous because I honestly felt that she was trying to pull something on me. That's why I'm shocked to shit that this happened with her. And that's why, you know, I don't know if her boyfriend's car is in the garage, if he had anything to do with it, or if something backfired on her because maybe Shasta was trying to do something to me, or what the hell the deal is. I have no idea. But nobody, I mean, all my friends know the bullshit I've been through. A buddy of mine, he borrowed my key one time to go into my house. Now, see, everybody knows I work a 24 hour shift. So it's easy if you want to go into my house. You, you know, I mean, she knows when I'm going to be home, but I'm not going to be home. Um, so the one day I was working my 24 hour shift, buddy of mine went into my house to take a shower and he heard people in my house and opened the door and boogied out and left. And plus, I was missing a bottle of wine out of that stupid ordeal, too. So you forced that train? No. They, that's the other thing, too. Is I, I'm a little unorganized, but I had like several keys in this one drawer of mine. like that four extra keys. And, and this is all kind of recently that I'm noticing this stuff. Okay, Because I, I it just never dawned on me I was possibly being burglarized right here. I just thought I was losing my mind. Um... So I'm missing several keys. So whoever is coming in is just waltzing right in. I found I just like last week and, and I was and I just talked to my attorneys associate to to because I want to see if I should try to file some sort of burglary. I found forced entry to the garage door that I never used. Um, but I never I didn't notice it, so I have no idea when it occurred because I, it, it's you'd have to see my house. That's why that's the reason why I was hoping to come over my house. I was gonna show you different things and you know play that tape for you. That's my summer, everything else. But, um, I also didn't you know I'm going questions have question to do an ask and everything. But, um, so, whoever came in can come in, came in through my garage. I also had a nail, like, here in the doorway to that one door that's gone, so I know when somebody came in. Um, but here again, I never noticed it to because I put that nail in a year and a half ago and never even. Oh, what reason was somebody have to come in your house like that? You know, either, first of all, I've got nothing to steal, but well, like I said, the only things I'm missing all right, that bottle of wine, the, the one time when somebody came in when my buddy was there, um, the tapes, my diary, which, was, which my diary was strictly for the uh, divorce. It was strictly divorce diary. I don't keep diaries. And the check, like I said, that was just a random check that you know, made out to me. So I have no idea. You know, uh, no TVs taken, no VCRs taken. Was it a check over cash? No, it was a cat check. Did you ever file a report? No, I, I just found all this out relatively recently. And, and that's why I told my attorney, and, and to me, I didn't know how was to prove this because at first I just thought I misplaced everything. And it wasn't until last week um, that I happened to notice my garage door. So I still don't understand why somebody would come in your house. Mm-hmm. You and both. That's what I'm saying. I
2: don't know. You'd be forgiven for thinking this all sounds a bit too convenient. Frata is claiming that not only should he not be a suspect, but he's actually a victim of his ex-wife. Which is a pretty brazen claim to make in an interrogation about your ex-wife's murder. He says these mysterious unidentified people repeatedly broke into and burglarized his house, but they mainly only took things related to his divorce, with the exception of a check and a bottle of wine. These things included a diary containing all the details of his divorce, and all the evidence he had collected on his wife to prove that she was the real abuser in the situation, and tape-recorded conversations supposedly proving assaults, false allegations, and her intent to lie to the judge to gain custody of their kids in the divorce. Why she would ever openly admit to these things, let alone directly to Frata, is not explained. He claims to have showed one of these tapes to a police constable during the investigation into his previous assault charge, but I couldn't find any confirmation of this anywhere, and I read a lot of police records and court documents for this case. But who knows? Well,
3: see, if they have that much access to you, they just kill to... You, You're right. You're 100% right. Yeah. And, and that's what I've been saying to my friends, too. It's like, somebody's fucking with me, but not trying to kill me. And that's why when Bradley called me up officer how long ago did you realize you were being fucked with as you put it two months ago two that. months ago well no no well really um, Ray's deal was maybe a month ago something like that and you haven't done anything to prove that you're being fucked with I, I had you prove it I just last week noticed the door uh, you're a cop yeah and no, I sleep with my you family. know as well as I do their ways to prove that <laughs> such as cameras I'm sure you probably have I am broke They got, I mean, I've got nothing. My wife's got a person. Yeah, cops are on both sides of me. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they don't see anything. Uh, Let me go this way. When my buddy went to my house, there were no cars there. Where'd you go to high school? In New York. In New York. What's the name of high school? WT Clark. Says a C-O-A-R-K-E. Where is that? It's Westbury, on Island. (laughs) Westbury. What year did you go in, right? 75. 20 years college? Yeah, have a college in New York. And what did you even major? Just a arts, large, have art, a two-year degree. Two-year degree? Associates and successors. Just associates of arts. <laughs> I'm sorry, what college is it? Nassau, AU. NASS, that's a lot of right? Garden City. Did you originally ever wife weapon? No, I did not. I'll put it this way, too. I mean, if anything happens to her, that's one of the things I was thinking about on the way over here. It's like, what the hell am I going to do now? I mean, me, need that at like the custody. The the was also relying on her to be paying the child
2: support at Okay. Okay, first off, I don't know what the hell he's doing here, but this is the second time that he's done it as soon as the detective leaves the room. It could be a bizarre self-soothing technique or an involuntary sign of anxiety, or maybe he's trying to irritate his eyes to make them look more teary or something in an attempt to make him appear more upset and sympathetic, but regardless, to me, it looks guilty as hell. Anxiety makes sense, though, because in the past couple minutes, the detective really switched gears and started to show Frata some resistance. He asked the reasonable question of, if these people have this much access, being able to get in your house whenever they want and knowing your work schedule and they're out to get you, why wouldn't they just kill you? Why would they bother to take notebooks and wine when they could just take you out? And Frata doesn't really have a good answer for this, besides, I guess they just wanted to fuck with me. The detective also asks, since you're a cop, with cop knowledge and cop friends, why couldn't you get any proof of this, set up a camera, or find some evidence they left behind? Which, again, is a fair question, and again, Frata doesn't really have an answer. He just kind of says he's too broke to afford a camera, they didn't leave any evidence, and he can't trust his cop buddies because he thinks there's police on his wife's side too. He does finish strong though with a foolproof declaration of innocence in the form of, when I ultimately got custody, she was gonna have to start paying me $700 a month in child support, and I need that money because I'm so broke, so why would I kill her when I was depending on that money coming through? which, while still kind of dumb, is probably one of the better points he's made in his favor so far. Anyway, the detective leaves Frada alone for about 15 minutes, where he does that eye thing a couple more times, puts his head in his hands, picks that and rubs his face, shifts around in his chair, talks to himself, and does some deep breathing before the detective finally returns.
3: (laughs) When did you get to your wife's house today? I'm sorry? When did you get to your wife's house? When did I get there? I guess about nine. How did you find your wife? I, I didn't. I thought that's where all the, uh, the things were opened up when they were taped off. And when I walked over, like I said, my initial reaction was because nobody really looked frantic or anything like that. I mean, I guess it all had already occurred and life had already taken off, whatever. And I honestly thought there was a drug raid or something. So that's why I walked over and didn't think too much of it. I and mean, one of the uh, constables told me. Do you have insurance with uh, Missouri City? You mean health insurance? Life insurance? Uh, probably. Is sure. it benefit of or Far is. Oh, sorry. Far. Do you have any insurance on her? No.
2: This is a lie. Frata had a $100,000 life insurance policy on Farah. He also had another $100,000 policy, this one on himself, of which Farah was the beneficiary. He mentions this shortly, but does so in a way as to imply that it's the only life insurance policy their family had. Just a few days after the murder, Frata contacted his insurance to remove Farah as the beneficiary of his policy, and to redeem the payout from her policy. He was incredibly upset to learn that since her death was the result of a homicide, the company wouldn't be paying out anything until the ensuing investigation definitively cleared him of any involvement, which he knew probably wouldn't be happening anytime soon.
3: How much child support do you pay her? Six thirty-six a month. Plus maintaining insurance on them too. Putting up to the any child support. Oh yeah. Oh, I also have a hundred dollars policy that she's the beneficiary of, so... Where do you work out? Work out? Mm-hmm. Uh, present First Lady. Where? Humble, name. Do you live in the area? Yeah, yeah, I live five blocks away. What's your Five three three zero, dear timber spread. How long to you live there? Year and a half. Your phone number? D five two nine zero eight nine. Who is Dustin? Dustin is a name that. My son Bradley said was uh, supposedly the person that was in the house that my wife claimed, uh, you know, that ordeal, the uh, robbery deal. Who are your friends? Well, I don't have mm-hmm. a Who are your friends? You know, the only, I guess, character reference you can get would be Rick Orlando. You a phone 361. 6922. How does um, he work? He works for um, written and mm-hmm. Funeral Directors. Nobody no many the no, you have any friends? None know, of the people I work with Stephen Barty. Is he also a
1: firefighter?
3: All yeah. Uh, he's just a firefighter. Yeah. <coughs> uh probably best reach to work. He's never at home, so. Sorry, do you want his number? Yeah. Uh, 261 4258. <coughs> Do you actually run police calls in Missouri? So? Yeah. You know, I usually patrol like uh, during the day from 12 to 8. We patrol during the day and sleep in the station at night. <laughs> Keep a fire during the show. These are what friends you have, just recording them, Steve Uh Ray Thomas, that's more good in my house. Uh, uh, and I don't know his number, He just got flooded. He lived in Forest Cove. Um, I can get his number before he's with his in laws. Just say he was in your house now. Yeah. No, no, no. He, he was the one that was in my house when he heard the people leaving. What's his phone number? Uh, that's what I don't know. I mean, the phone number to the house that got flooded out was. Uh, uh 3597083, oh, three. but now he's with his in-laws and I guess I don't have to know that number And I can get it for him though. How do you know him? We moved from the gym, known for like five, six years.
2: As is normal with any suspect in an investigation, police want to contact their friends, family, and other associates to see if their suspect's story aligns with what the people closest to them know, and also to rule out any possibility of them somehow being involved. Frata does a pretty good job of appearing open and honest, giving them several names and phone numbers to chase after, all of which I'm betting will vouch for him and have no further knowledge or possible involvement with the case. Frata intentionally makes it seem as if he's mostly antisocial and only has a couple people he'd call friends, but this doesn't seem to have been the case. In fact, there's records of several people who knew Frata stating they often went out with his cop buddies, of which there were numerous, to bars and strip clubs. He also regularly worked out and had a group of various people that he would exercise with at the gym. One specific workout buddy he doesn't mention here, though, is 38-year-old Joseph Prystash, who he'd been seen with multiple times in the weeks and months leading up to the murder. Remember that name, Joseph Prystash, because it's going to come up again later.
3: Do you use any kind of steroids or
2: anything? I used to. I don't
3: been it a year or so, since my back started. <laughs> oh, please no, all mine will be able to the doctor. You can check that. I never did the one. When you know it worked out at first level? Where? Uh, It varies. Um, Today I worked out at 3. It it changes all the time, but most of the time, night time, anywhere between 6 and 10. Before you went to work for Missouri City, did you uh, work for another police agency? No. What of work did you do? Uh, I also worked for American Airlines. And that was for almost six years. What did you do for that? Ticket agent. Did you meet your wife in New York? No, I'm in New York. today. Did you work today? No, I was okay. When you picked up your son, at what time? Your daughter, sorry, Amber. Amber was uh, before five, and the boys were about five. I said so She was probably about 4.45. My mother-in-law could probably tell you the time. What did you do with that? Uh, from there, we went to... Um, Let To my house, I got changed into this because I was wearing my gym clothes. Um, then went to Whites to eat. And then from Whites went to St. Mary's Church. What would you do there? A, um, you know, parent-child uh, type of uh, uh, process for the sacrament. Uh, you know, going through confession and stuff. It, Bradley, my oldest boy, does that. So Amber and Daniel I put into the nursery there. I the church and Bradley did his class and then, you know, he does the children's class and adults do our class and then we meet up for like 15 minutes after. How often they Um, this is the second meeting that I've made as a parent. Apparently there's only three times the parents meet and I have one more time next month. So, uh, this it. the first one was last month in October. How often does your son go? Uh, I don't know because this is only the second time I've brought him. Now, I don't know if my wife brings him any other times. Um, like I said, I did bring them up the last time, which was like two weeks ago. That's the Catholic church. Yeah, same Mary's What's the name of the father that runs that program? Uh, Paul, I believe. He's you don't know how long your son's been enrolled in that program? Well, probably the beginning of October. Like I said, I, I can check the record. I, I've got the, the calendar thing. I can tell you exactly when. <laughs> I just don't know offhand. I, I wasn't the one that enrolled in. she did. Do you remember your higher date was recently? Yeah, it was uh and my higher date my senior date too, place just a like, second. Um, my higher date was 729.85. Did your wife instruct you to take, him you know, your son to church tonight? Yeah. Yeah, she pre-raised him with me. It's just like last time.
2: As police ask for more details about his time at the church before the murder, Frata does a decent job of not slipping up and giving them the same times as before, and tells them a reasonable story about why he was there and what he did. The glaring omission, however, is that he says nothing about spending most of his time in the church's office making calls, barely attending the parents' meeting at all. Likely because, given the timing, this would make him look pretty suspicious, but by not trying to give them any explanation as to why he did that, once police talk to the other parents that were in that meeting and find out the truth, it's gonna make him look infinitely more suspicious than if he had just said he had a business call or something.
3: and does yeah. your divorce your temporary, temporary. Agreement, say about about custody that I get them from 6 till 8 on Wednesdays and every other weekend picking them up at on Friday at um, 6 o'clock and dropping them off Sunday 6 o'clock 6 p.m. right Can you talk to your attorney about what uh, permanent child support could be? Uh, well, there's really no such thing as permanent. I mean, you can file like every year. For, yeah. What, you know, what, right? was the, uh, what was she asking for, for child support? Hmm. Um... She asked for... Uh, it, when, when she first filed... To, like, she filed for divorce and so I never realized she was going to go through with it. So I agreed to pay 600 Um. She then filed for an increase of, I believe, three hundred more, which we just went to court for about six months ago, and uh, but the judge only granted thirty six dollars extra. And she also asked for five hundred dollars a month spousal support. <laughs> yeah, she thinks we're made of money. You still for sure. her? It is starting to hit me now. I mean, I loved her. I mean, I want to spend the rest of my life with her. I never wanted a divorce. I didn't do anything to warrant a divorce. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still care about her. I mean, I'm, you know. Like, Have you ever hit you one? I'm sorry? Have you ever hit you I one? Never hit her. I mean, I was never even hardly raised my voice to her. Like, I can pretty much say I never did raise my voice to her. Well, why does she want a divorce? I guess to sum it up, basically, uh, there was no romance and affection in our marriage. It was more like, um, I mean, I loved her, I provided for her, you know, took care of her, and everything. But we, I guess, we just weren't in love with each other, you know. And whereas to me, I was able to handle it, and I guess just told her, look, you know, cope with it. What's the big deal? You know, we don't have the best marriage, but it's far from the worst. She wanted to find somebody to put her on a pedestal. And filed for divorce. How long was it before she uh, started going with this, this friend, this boyfriend? This David Deets. I've been dated for over two years. It's been a while. And when were you separated? In February of 92. How did you feel about that? Uh, I was shocked that she filed for divorce. I mean, I never expected it. How did you feel about David Dietz? Uh, indifferent. I mean, he seemed okay. He, um, the only things I ever asked were, you know, my children as to how he treated them. I just found out very recently that he did spank Daniel one time. But, uh, um, and aside from, I, I mean, we never really talked. I offered him the opportunity to talk and even play mediator in this. Uh, he declined. Uh, when I saw him the other night's he was a little... He was different from other times. I mean, I don't know if he'd just been drinking or if he actually was on a Coke because he definitely had a different personality. He was a little more aggressive and talkative. Just see large as sure. you there, and weird. He's, and uh, he's about 6'2, 220 something. Does he live Yeah. He works out as far. She <laughs> sure. works You've any kind of physical conversation
2: with him? No, not at all. One thing you'll notice if you watch a lot of these police interrogations is that innocent people usually answer things quickly, concisely, and deliberately. Whereas guilty people, or at least people who aren't being completely honest, will give longer, more drawn-out answers, usually diverting to additional unneeded details, maybe throw some stuff to hopefully point the police towards someone else, reinforce how innocent they are, before winding their way back to answering the initial question, if they do at all. Of course, this isn't all the time. There are certainly exceptions to this, and there's myriad reasons for a person to lie to the police while not being the person responsible for whatever it is they're investigating. But in this case, Frata fits the profile to a T. <laughs>
3: What do you did? Yeah. And your girlfriend's name? Mm, I don't really have a girlfriend. In between. It's not Rarely. The last time I went out was Sam's boat when I ran into him. Through the top first. Rarely. I mean, like maybe five times in my life. When you did, where where do you go? Uh, I've been to a Trophy Club, but it's the most recent one. And um. How many times have we gone there? Three. And then the Colorado Club, like that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. That guy Rick has a <coughs> friend that works at the Trophy Club, so I went there a couple times. <laughs> But don't tell his wife that. Who's his friend I don't even know her name. Is she a waitress or uh, a dancer? Or oh, waitress. A waitress. What's her first name? I don't know. I, oh wait a Rhonda is her first name, but I couldn't tell you her last name at all. Did Rick know the people in make Club? I don't know. Not that I know. What nationality are you? Mm-hmm. my father was Italian, my mother's Irish and German. I'm mm-hmm. American. How long has your wife work for American Airlines? She got hired in you know? uh any minutes. So it's been thirteen minutes. Who the doctor at the hospital tell you about your wife's condition? That it, it wasn't good. That she had a pulse, and I think he said she had a pulse and was breathing, but it, you know, wasn't good. He didn't know if she's gonna be a possible vegetable or anything like that. He just didn't know at this time, and that's why. Uh, I want to take the children down to see her because my father died when I was young and I regretted not being able to at least be there for that. So I'll think about letting the boys at least talk to her um, and just keep Amber out. If she dies, how are you going to feel about that? I feel sad. I mean, like I said, I do still have the Alex for her. And I feel very bad for the children. I mean, Regardless that things were going, you know, bad with this, regardless, I think she was doing stuff to fuck with me, you know, she's still the mother of my children. Um, I never, you know, would have wanted anything like this to happen. I mean, I, you know, I I still, for some reason, I feel like she knew the person for some reason. Do you Um, think you had a fair chance of um, getting custody of your children? Yeah, yeah, I did. I think she knew do it why do you think you had a for a chance I guess because we're doing a jury trial instead of a, a judge and um, being with all the, the different tapes I had showing her lying and things like that um, we were more going to just basically play on the peoples that basically I mean I was a good husband I didn't do anything wrong to warrant this. And it's only because of her selfishness that she broke up the family. And uh, so, and, and plus the different things she's done since the separation, not letting me see the children certain times when I asked, um making me pay to see them, uh, to take them to New York on time to pay the babysitter. I mean, there, I, I, I can't think right now, but I can list dozens of things for you that she's done that we just felt like a jury. Would be more inclined to empathize for that situation and say, well, okay, you know, you want to have a marriage, that's fine, but give your husband a children. So, and yeah, I felt pretty good about that.
2: This is another example of Frata giving a good, well thought out, thoroughly ass covering answer in the moment, but royally screwing himself in the long term. After talking to friends of the victim and friends of Frata, police learned that he did plenty of things to deserve a divorce, including verbal and physical abuse, and an ever growing list of strange and extreme sexual acts that he demanded Far perform. The worst of which being the consumption of excrement. Police also learned that despite his words to the contrary, he very much DID want something like this to happen to Farah. In fact, he told many people at his gym that he either wanted to kill Farah or have her killed by someone else, commenting on multiple occasions that he wanted to pump some slugs into her. He also discussed these thoughts with his fellow police officers, telling one, I'll kill her before I pay child support, and another, I'll just kill her and do my time. When I get out in five years, I'll have my kids back.
3: How did you end up uh, living three blocks away from her? One of my intentions, uh, one of the offerings I made to her, first of all, I just wanted to be close to my children. I was very involved with them, the boys coaching their soccer and baseball. And it was a hassle. When I first moved out, I was living down in southwest Houston. And I then had to uh, travel like there to coach. and It was a pain in the butt. So, besides that, I love the humble area. I mean, I think it's a real nice area, a nice family environment. And I was also thinking positive that I was going to end up with the children. I wanted them to maintain their schools there, the same friends and everything. So, what happened was um, I decided to, you know, my sister wants to move down. My mother's sister moving down. So, we decided to go ahead and buy there. And then, this way too, my intention was that even with me living close, that... We still, you know, I, I, I at least want to be friends, and you have to realize I still never thought the divorce was going to be final. Even like a year and a half ago, things just started getting, you know, bad. And I, I think basically the closer trial came, I think she started uh, maybe thinking she's going to lose the kids because even the mediator um, awarded. Oh, I'm sorry, I started saying something. One of the things that I offered to her, because I didn't really want to take the children away from her either. I said, hey, look, why don't we just do joint custody? You have them for a month. I'll have them for a month. We live five blocks away from each other. This way, nobody has to pay child support. Uh, the kids still have the same friends in the same school. You know, let's be friends about this. Let's be amicable. Uh, she said no. The mediator that we had granted the joint custody, and they sent a letter to him into the court accusing him of being a... Uh, uh, biased to women and, and racial, racially prejudiced because she's Iranian. So, you know. But that, that's what my intention was, was just to keep everything out of her. Who hates your wife enough to kill her? Nobody I can think of. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody that hate her. Um, What's wrong with this picture? <clears throat> your wife lives in an above-average neighborhood. For middle income in the neighborhood. I know for a fact the houses go from probably ninety to hundred fifty thousand. Uh, very little happens out there. I know that for a fact. And uh, your wife is shot out of the clear blue as she's going in the garage. Nothing's taken from her, and uh, for no reason. Nothing was taken the last time either except the stupid telephone or something like that. Yeah. Um, all I can say is check her lifestyle. She uh, went out clubbing a lot, got a boob job, flaunted a lot. Supposedly, like I said, according to her, the person that went in last time, supposedly knew me. So, I mean, that means he knew her. Oh, absolutely. Why would somebody have a reason to be mad at you? <laughs> I didn't believe that. Okay. I mean, I don't think there is because to me, if somebody's mad at me and wants me, I'm very easy to get to. I'm listed in the phone book. you got my address, my phone number. Um, the people, like, you know, we discussed already right, that are messing with me. Oh, the other things, too. Uh, Why is everybody messing with you? I understand. <laughs> you think I do? You know, um, all I can do is. Oh, just... I know something. I'm a homicide arrester. I've been in for four years now. I worked as a detective for six years before that. I've arrested hundreds, of, uh, more than 2,000 people. And nobody's ever come to my house and mess with me. It's a knob. You're right. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I'll
2: be <laughs> the detective gives one last pretty clear hint that he doesn't believe Frata and then exits the room. And who could blame him? Those final couple minutes of the interrogation encapsulate Frata perfectly. The only time he shows any concern or sadness for his ex-wife. Is when he's being directly accused of being involved in her murder. Outside of that context, any other time his ex is brought up, he goes on a tangent about how salacious and untrustworthy she was, how the people she associated with were bad, and she was out to get him. The only time he says the divorce was amicable is when they're asking what he did to her. When things are the other way around, she was vindictive, a liar, a manipulator. She wanted to gain the upper hand with underhanded tactics. So much so that she knew she was going to lose the custody battle and have to pay Perfect Rob $700 a month. So he couldn't have killed her. After this interrogation, despite their suspicions, police didn't have enough cause to hold Frata, so he walked free. For months after the murder, he made news and talk show appearances, proclaiming his innocence to anyone who would listen, bad-mouthing the police, and pleading for the killer to be found. As Frata went back to his daily life, the investigation continued without much progress. There wasn't any forensic evidence at the scene, the only witness didn't get a good look at the person fleeing the house, and only one of the bullets recovered was intact enough to be analyzed. They could tell it was a 38 caliber bullet fired from a handgun, but that was about it. Forensic tech wasn't nearly as advanced as it is now, so short of someone new coming forward, all they could do was wait. And wait they did, until about five months later, when an unrelated crime, a bank robbery, led to a man named Howard Guidry being arrested. Among the things found in his vehicle was a 38 caliber handgun. When initially interviewed, Guidry didn't want to talk, but five days later, a woman named Mary Gipp told the police that Guidry had been involved in Farah's murder. Because of this, detectives ran a registration check on the gun that was found in Guidry's car, and discovered it was purchased by Robert Frada in 1982. It turns out, at one point, Frada had actually left this gun with Farah's father for safekeeping, but took it back in 92. After some pressing and showing him the evidence, Guidry confessed to killing Farah. He told the police that he had been approached by a man named Joseph Prystash, remember, Frada's gym buddy, and was offered $1,000 to commit the murder. Guidry agreed, and on November 9th, 1994, Prystash picked him up and drove him to Farah's house giving him a cell phone and the handgun. Gwidri then proceeded to hide in a playhouse behind Farah's house until she got home. After several hours, Gwidri saw her pull into the garage, so he got up and approached the side door intending to catch her getting out of the car. This was locked, however, so he waited outside for Farah to open the door, and when she did, he shoved her back inside and shot her in the head. He claims she fell backwards but was still moving, so he walked over and shot her in the head a second time. After that, he ran through the backyard, climbed over the fence, and hid behind some bushes, calling Price Dash to come pick him up, which he did several minutes later. This led to the immediate arrest of Joseph Price Dash, who quickly confessed to arranging and facilitating the murder for Fratta. He was supposed to be paid $3,000 and given Frata's Jeep. All this once he got the insurance payout and upgraded, of course. After hearing this, police followed this lead, getting phone records, re-questioning associates, and tailing Fratta. and on May 3, 1996, he was finally arrested and charged with capital murder. In the resulting trial, neither Prystash nor Guidry would agree to testify against Frata. However, Mary Gip, the woman who initially alerted police to Guidry's involvement, also revealed to be Prystash's girlfriend, did. She explained that she and Prystash would often go to the gym together, where they would meet and eventually become friends with Frata. During their workouts together, Fratta would often talk about his desire to have Farah killed. At first, she thought he was just venting, but as it went on over the course of time, she could tell that he was serious, and was concerned that he may be trying to get her boyfriend Priestash involved in his plan. Two days before the murder, Prystash told her about his intent to carry out the plan with Gridry. Gip believed him, but still chose not to do anything. Two days later, she remembered Prystash and Guidry coming home and throwing away two spent bullet casings, saying the job was done. Due to the evidence against him, especially the conviction of his accomplices and the damning testimony from Gip, Frata was found guilty and sentenced to death. He declared his innocence the entire time, never once apologizing or showing remorse for his actions. As soon as he was in prison, he began filing appeals. Eventually, in 2009, he was granted a retrial. I think due to the fact that parts of Priestash and Guidry's confessions had been used against him in court without his defense team having the ability to cross-examine them, but I'm not 100% sure. But all the same, he was granted a retrial, and he was again found guilty of capital murder, and again sentenced to death. Since then, he has been seen in several news stories, taken a couple of interviews, and even appeared in Werner Herzog's documentary series, On Death Row. Every time, he has said the exact same things. He didn't do it, he doesn't know who did, he's being framed, and he's gonna get out and prove it. He maintained that idea for 28 years, until January 10th, 2023, when he was finally put to death by lethal injection. One of his children attended the execution, a fact Fratta was fully aware of, but even in his final moments, he didn't apologize, he didn't take responsibility, and he didn't give any closure. He stuck to his story until the very end. A detective who witnessed the execution, that had also worked on Fratta's case all the way back in 94, said that he handled his death the same way he handled his life, like a selfish coward. I'll leave you with this. It's part of a video that I found from an anti-death penalty group that managed to get a phone interview with Frada just 36 hours before his execution. Knowing what you do now, and comparing it to what you saw in this video, I think you agree that in my opinion, Robert Frada still thought he was always the smartest guy in the room, even when that room was his death chamber.
0: I never gave any thought to the death penalty even though was a police officer and now that i'm going through it i can understand how it's so ridiculously tormenting for the inmates to be put through this <clears throat> and the government is a system that's supposed to be leading by example so for me i worked for the government as a police officer and we're supposed to portray good examples of how to treat the citizens, and when the government itself is is killing people and not just killing them like in a humane way, like somebody who, and I, I, I hate to sound morbid, but just walks across the street and gets hit by a car or something, but to have you knowing the day and time and everything that you're gonna die and and it's just prolonged and everything that they put you through beforehand, this is torturous. And I can't believe that the government of we the people actually allows this to happen. But I do have hope of that um, you know, something will happen in, as far as the justice, because you, you grow up believing that the system isn't corrupt and that justice should prevail. But the closer things get, I'm starting to get pretty disillusioned about it, to be honest with you. But I guess at my age, I'll be 66 next month uh, if I make it. But it, I'm kind of ready to go, so that's how I'm viewing it. Also, is I'm just I'm just tired of 27 years of suffering.
2: Thanks for watching. Uh, before I give my typical spiel, I want to give some quick shout-outs. Firstly, a big thank you to my very first early supporter pledges, Sherry Spain on Patreon and Game Changers on YouTube. If you'd like to get a shout out in the next video, as well as gain access to original, unedited cuts of all my videos, you can join Sherry and Game for just $5 a month. I also want to say thank you to all of my new awesome, supportive, helpful, true crime buddies that I've met over the past few months, uh, and who have been invaluable in everything from production tips, to gear recommendations, to advice on navigating the ambiguous landscape of YouTube's monetization policies. There's too many to name them all, but in particular I want to thank Morbid Curiosity, Damon Varial, True Red Crime, A Grumpy Owl, The Misery Machine, Stranger Stories, and Explore With Us. Since you're watching my channel, there's a pretty good chance you already know who most of them are, but on the off chance you don't, you should definitely check them out. I put their links in the description. They've been a huge help to me, without them I probably wouldn't have made it this far, and they are all masters of their respective crafts. And. Finally, I want to thank all of you. The support I've received since starting this channel has been incredible. My initial goal was 2,000 subscribers in the first year, yet here we are at 10,000 in less than 90 days. Uh, It's wild. Um, Not only has it given me the means to hone my production skills and reinvest financially in a hobby that I love doing, uh, but it's had a profound effect on my mental health as well. Uh, Creating this content and seeing people enjoy it has given me a renewed sense of purpose. It's given me the hope that I've desperately been seeking for a long time, and that wouldn't have happened without all of you guys. I speak from experience when I say that mentally, the world we live in can be incredibly taxing. Anxiety, depression, addiction, self-harm, and many other mental health issues have almost become the norm. Dealing with those issues can seem impossible, and it's easy to lose hope, but... Take it from me, as someone who has dealt with all of those issues in one form or another, and managed to drag myself out the other side, it is possible, and you can do it. If you're struggling, there are people and organizations out there that offer help, so don't be afraid to accept it. It only makes things worse when you try to power through on your own. No matter how bad you may be feeling, just know that it's only temporary, and it will pass if you just hang on. No temporary feeling, no matter how severe, is worth a permanent solution. Just by being here, watching this, you've had a positive impact on my life, so imagine what you can do once you put your mind to it. Anyway, please like, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. Check out my second channel for raw interrogation footage. Follow me on Instagram for BTS picks and videos, BTS being behind the scenes, not the K-pop group. And, as always, Have a good one.